Ahoy there, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin. Thanks so much for checking out this episode. It's only a special look through some of 04's Evergreen Monday Night Raw with myself and Billy. Just want to have a quick shout out to all of our amazing backers over at patreon.com forward slash AEPodcast. Hey, have you ever wondered how come this podcast is ad-free and 100% fan and listener supported? Well, the reason that is is because of all of our backers over at Patreon, all of our lovely fans who back us and get access to a whole shed load of content. I'm talking about over 70 episodes of the Smackdown Crawl, over 40 Q&A episodes, a ridiculous amount of Bibliotechs, video episodes, Bibliotechs, random side ventures like reviewing Limp Biscuits, chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavoured water. But don't hold that against us. All this and more available over on the Patreon page. Keep it 100% fan and listener supported and thank you everyone who's done so so far. But for now, check this out. It's time for myself and Billy to head into the past, but not quite so far into the past, as we're going to look at 2004's Monday Night Raw and the debut of Eugene. Debut Gene. Now get the guns, the drugs, from my generation, I'll take the fall, the saints, and across the nation, and it's a Welcome to the Attitude Podcast. Bono 2004 Billow Special Edition. Hi, once again, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin Mann. Joined as I am always by the baddest man on the planet. Anytime there's a random Raw to be reviewed, you gotta be joking me. It's Billy Kay. How are you doing, Bill? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I am very excited. It feels like we have once again joined hands figuratively to go on a nice Sunday stroll through a period of time in wrestling we've no business looking at. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting as well. I have established now when I started watching wrestling. You've got your touchstones now. What, yeah. what is your exact point, Billy? So I, I, I always thought I started in 2005, 2006 and maybe was around for two years. Yeah. But I remember this episode of Raw. So I was watching in 2004 for definite and... I remember some of the characters we're going to meet along the way. La Resistance, for instance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember them. I don't know if it was pre or post this time, but them continually going on about how they're going to try and move the WWE to Quebec. <laughs> so the scourge of La Resistance has hung over you like a cloud. Yeah, I, I distinctly remember that storyline of them, of Sylvain uh, Granier and... Uh, and, and the other one <laughs> coming out and saying we're going to move the WWE to Quebec because it's just a better city on whose authority was that? I don't know oh my dad hadn't seen the plans for WWE City in the Scooby-Doo WrestleMania mystery <laughs> yet obviously they hadn't seen that well this is good Billy because usually what happens when they're in these points in time when you and I settle in for a Raw or you put forward something to go forward for a fan vote we usually find out that it's not the thing you thought it was or we're doing something kind of for no reason at all but there is a reason here now you have this yeah, was your early this. days yeah this is my early days earlier than I've always anticipated but I do remember this episode of Raw. Fantastic. Oh my God. 2004. Before you went into watching this, what were like the main things about 2004 WWE that you reckon were like, you know, very, very different standout? What is 2004 WWE to you as a, as a revisiting fan? Um, It's kind of like 
from this, it's kind of Attitude Era light. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> it's like not like early Attitude Era. This is like the, I'd say, the lighter version of, say, 2000. Yeah, I think that's fair. There's certainly enough Triple H. I, I think it has a similar similar feel to 2000. And there's, there's obviously, we're at the start now of um, the Reign of Terror. <laughs> Or in the midst of the Reign of Terror. Yeah. There's a lot of fucking Triple H here tonight, folks. He is this is this is the Triple H show as featured on Monday Night Raw. You know, there is a lot of, of the game here. As a matter of interest, when you started watching then at this point, you're saying it's like Atichiera Light, and you would have been like what? 13, 14? I would have been I would have been twelve in two thousand four. Twelve. Okay, God, this is so this is where the age difference comes between you and me. I remember watching Attitude Area like 98, 99, being that age and being very much like, all right, I know, I know I'm not meant to be watching this. When you were watching 2004 Rod, did you ever have that sense that this is naughty and not for young Billy? Not in 2004, but stuff like stuff that would come in the, like, in the next couple of years, there were things like... We're talking a couple of years down the line, but the the live sex celebration. Oh Jesus, uh, fucking Katie, Christ. Katie Vick. Yeah, I was like that. That's that's moments where I'd be like, oh, okay, this is <laughs> this isn't it. What <laughs> have you ever had? This is the true wrestling fan feeling. Had you ever watched a segment on Raw and the primary thought in your head was, I hope my mum and or dad don't come through that door. Uh, to see what I'm doing with my life. Yeah, definitely. And those were the, the those two segments I've just mentioned to you. <laughs> Specifically. Yeah. Well, here we are, folks. It's time for a little bit of a perambulation as Billy and I descend into 2004, the 5th of April, that is, for a little bit of Monday Night Raw. I'm in the hall, excited about my first day on Raw, and Batista gets in my face. Accusing me of laughing at Triple H when he got drafted to SmackDown before I could even address it. Triple H cheap shots me. Rule, Never disrespect again. I'll tell you what, Eric. I want a match tonight against Triple H. I'll tell you what, Shelly. Be careful what you wish for. Because you're gonna get it. Welcome to Raw, Shelton Benjamin. The game is ready to teach Sheldon Benjamin a lifelong lesson. You go out there, you show Triple H where you come from, what you represent. Take Triple H down. It's your time, man. Damn right. What an opportunity for Sheldon Benjamin to make his mark here on Raw. He's gonna get massacred, I can assure you of that, Jerry. What do you think?
I will always have a lot of time for Eric Bischoff running Monday Night Raw like a dictatorship kind it's, of, you know. It's great. <laughs> the, the, start, the start of this pack, like, the, as soon as Raw starts, we literally get, like, a Wyatt family, like, Eric Bischoff on the screen for, like, <laughs> half a second. And I was like, yes, I love this. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> that was a very dark period in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Bischoff is someone I think I completely underrated as a performer when I was watching at this time because you would have been like a, a young kid who was fucking enjoying his wrestling for the first time I was arms folded you know fucking pissed off at watching wrestling hate watching wrestling at the moment but always watching wrestling where's Steve Austin where's Mick Foley where's The Rock and on and on I would fucking watch it's nice to look back and realize it was better than you probably thought at the time yeah I, I don't think people remember this time not necessarily like I don't think that it's not like they don't think of it fondly or anything like that I just think it's just a, a time people don't think about yeah it doesn't occupy a lot of space I don't think there's any negative emotion there it's just it's just a malaise I wonder if it is and you mentioned it being Attitude Era light and I was very fucking shocked watching this 2004 show how they were trying to hit a lot of those mm. those old beats but I guess in the late 90s, it is kind of considered still counterculture, I guess, at least for wrestling. Yeah. But 2004, we're six years after, like, you know, Austin McMahon. Mm. It really feels like, you know, as good as Bischoff is and all that, we are treading a lot of familiar territory. You know, it doesn't feel as edgy or as new. Yeah. Even going back. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a new storyline, is it? You know, they, they've continued to run on with the, the heel authority figure. And you know the 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 young upstart who's gonna you know get in the way. Yeah, right. The, the only difference here is that I genuinely forgot that Shelton Benjamin was part of this long list of people who got the push. And I'm mm. doing very big inverted commas here from Triple H. And the part I also forgot was that push was into a big hole, which Triple H then buried <laughs> him in. <laughs> what what happened last Monday night with poor Shelton Benjamin, the newest member of Monday Night Raw? So Shelton got attacked by Evolution because he was accused of laughing when Triple H was drafted to SmackDown. Yes, uh, drafter, as it's known, which is laughing at someone else's draft position, <laughs> is never appreciated. And of course, it's very humiliating for Triple H because he had to be a member of the SmackDown roster for half an episode of Raw and never again. That was very, very tough for him. Yeah, that's the thing that that confused me the most. I was like, ah, oh, you're... You got drafted to SmackDown and the lads are all here. (laughs) I do like how they managed to recap this story without actually explicitly stating Triple H is on another show and then was brought back to this show Mm. before the show was over. I don't think they said it at all in this. (laughs) So the thing that took me the most by surprise was not how, as someone who spent a lot of time studying Evolution, how I let the group Evolution just use that name and not explain its, you know, past, present, future, Mm. muscle. You know how Evolution works. (laughs) But the intro music from Raw around this time, play the funky music, Billy. Do you remember Across the Nation? I don't, yeah, I don't. (laughs) It's not Nickelback. I had to go and check. This is Across the Nation. Wait, who's the actual artist? Raw across the nation. It's going to be like Theory of a Dead Man. Wait, you reckon? No, it's going to be some shit like that. Every time I look at him, it just says across the Union Underground. There we go. All right. Don't know them. All right. So across the nation by the Union Underground. Sorry, this is WWE. I thought it would have been like the Confederacy Underground or something like that <laughs> instead. Like, Do you know any of the lyrics of this song? Because it's one which is probably played 
on constant repeat. Let's get it out. Do you know any of the lyrics to it? I do not. I, they, I, I, I'm not sure at all. From memory, I'm going to try and guess some of them here. Okay. Forget the lies, the money. We're in this together and through and out. They say mud clops the nation. The sex, the gods, the freeps, the frauds. The freeps? Why won't they wake up? Let's get it out. And let's move to the music. That funky music. Move it to the music. Yeah. Now get it out. Now I do have the lyric sheet up here on a previously open tab. So let's have a look now, Billy. Okay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> this is spicy. Now get the guns, the drugs from my generation. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the fall of the saints across the nation. Yeah, it's the sex, the gods, the freaks, the frauds. They're messing with me. Come on, come on, come on. Let's get it on. Move to the music. Play the fucking music. Oh, Ooh. goodness, now. Oh, I thought this was a funky show, Billy. It's a blue show. Is that maybe they've, they've, that's a censored version where it's funky? Because I was going to say that music doesn't sound funky. You know, no, there's, no, but- there's no soul in that. I mean, if they said move to the music, play that sludgy music, then maybe, yeah. yeah. All this swearing in here, though. Look at that now. Guns and drugs, sex, lies. And I thought Smackdown was the blue brand. Here we are. Ooh. So it's, a se- it's a sequel to Rikishi's theme. <laughs> he's talking about home invasions and killing kids. <laughs> the recap at the start here. I, I really love the use of the stock footage where immediately, even though I knew he gets buried and it doesn't work well... I still got the little bit of the goosebumps for Shelton picking up the big win. I don't know about you and that recap package. Yeah, like, it looked like, I'm sure it wasn't, but it looked like a good match. All about the Benjamins. That works. Yeah. Shelton money, baby. We open up Raw with absolute fucking perfection here. Dark-sided Triple H, Mm. who I thought at the start was coming out, and he was so upset that he lost to Shelton in an upset on Raw that he was walking out without his music, and then it's like, no, it's just technical issues. He's walking out slightly too early, and then his music (laughs) starts. And how would you describe Triple H's look here, Billy? This is 2004 Triple H, bear in mind. This is like... uh, So imagine there's a werewolf situation, but instead of turning into a wolf, you go from like yuppie to like stock trader in new york <laughs> wait yuppie to stock trader that's a subtle subtle change there but yeah no no but like he you know he, he's halfway between in terms of the clothing <laughs> it's like it's, it's got a yuppie shape but not the colors he looks a little bit like he's gotten the symbiote in spider-man 3 because he's wearing the yeah. exact same suit but he's not do. I would have loved to kill to see Triple H do the little bit of a dance walking down the aisle. But he's all kind of sad and mopey. And I have a lot of time anytime a wrestler neglects to shave to put over a beat and like that they've lost and that they can't mm. groom themselves. You this know? cut over his eye. Where did that come from? They make no reference to that. But like he's got a big cut over his eye. It's like he's attacked by Wolverine or something. It's fucking. It's minging. It looks like he's got colour as he's walking out. <laughs> it looks like it's seeping. He's like I don't know. He is. Kind of like in your own Fallout when you get a load of perks, but then you get a mutation. because mm. <laughs> And I think what it is, is because he's gotten a lot of the Ric Flair perks, he's gotten the Ric Flair mutation of just like his forehead's like, <laughs> <busting> <laughs> blood <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> so Triple H is upset. 
he's upset and he's looking like Pete Gaston after Gaston has had to mm. deal with the events of Beauty and the Beast and he's yeah. not feeling like, you know, he wants to eat many eggs at all. He's just there looking like a really good taxidermy of Triple H. He's got very big, your dad missed his flight back from the business trip in Prague that was secretly a stag do all along. Mm. <laughs> got that energy going for yeah. him a lot. It's a great story. It is. But the fact is, this is reality, and it is nothing but a fluke. A fluke that could not happen again in a million years. He's right about that, JR. And more importantly, let me tell you about something else that can't happen again in a million years, and that is Chris Benoit walking out of backlash with the World Heavyweight Championship belt around his waist. Yeah, that's right. I'm talking about the rematch of the century. The greatest main event in the history of WrestleMania. One more time. The rematch of all time. The final encounter. Chris Benoit, Shawn Michaels, and the game. Triple threat for the World Heavyweight Championship. And if I know Chris Benoit right about now, he's starting to feel the pressure. He's feeling the pressure of having that target on his back. He's feeling the weight of the world of being the champ. Triple H, Hunter Horse Helmsley. Not his, his best verbiage tonight, Bill. No, but I would, uh, I would say that this hits every Triple H point, you know, <laughs> got to bury someone by pretending you don't know what their name is even though you've previously been seen to know what their name is you know it's got every it checks off all the boxes yeah triple h has got a long list of backhanded compliments to put over shelton benjamin here like no one actually beats me that was just a fluke and spends most of the promo hyping up backlash with two wrestlers he goes out of his way to put over and let you know that he thinks that chris benoit and Shawn michaels are really top tier talents Unlike Shelton Benjamin, who actually beat me last week. Yeah. How, how does that work? I don't guess. I, yeah, I don't understand why you're starting a little storyline with a character when you've already got, you know, a big, you know, WrestleMania rematch uh, in two weeks' time. I don't know why you would, you know... It's not even planting the seeds because this has been going on for a week already. It's... No, it's it's less planting the seeds and more salting the earth, Billy. I think yeah. that's what it is to ensure nothing will ever grow. Let's just nip this in the bud now in case it happens in six months. And hey, when you've got a dynamic performer like Triple H, who's such a broad church, he can, you know, be involved in all these different storylines. But obviously he's a bit of burn the candle at both ends because he's so hoarse he forgets his triple h voice halfway through he's like he's there going sheldon you had a match with me and there will be another match and losing speaking of losing lose is what you're going to do (laughs) when you face me tonight does he know how odds work i i think he's gone to the um the the steiner math school of uh, of odds and 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 percentages and chances because i thought like odds going up is like good right odds going down is like your odds beat me are drastically gone down you'd be like "Uh uh-oh Right, but it depends on when 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 you've put your money in. Okay, because like <laughs> Steiner's coming in from one end, and I hate to break it to you, I am using Steiner here as my benchmark, mm. and more, that's it's a foolish man who blames his tools and all that. But Triple H says, no, he, he's talking now about the triple threat, and he says the odds of Chris Benoit winning are huge. And I was like, oh, all right, and then he goes, the odds of you winning 
two triple threats in a row are big. Uh, okay, it's odd to go huge and then big. And he says, the odds mm. of you winning a triple threat with Shawn Michaels, the icon, the legend, are astronomical. And the odds of you winning two triple threat matches in a row that contain Shawn Michaels and Triple H are impossible. Mm. That's how odds work. Yeah. Mm. Sheldon Benjamin comes out with his dynamic placeholder theme. I actually really like this music. <laughs> I actually like when I was, I was like doing a little finger to the finger playing, you know. <laughs> When it was coming out, I was digging it. You're just saying that though, Billy, because anyone could hear this music and conceivably think of themselves walking to the rig with it, be like, yeah, that's me. Like, it's that's, so what you, that's what you want for a wrestling theme. This music is equal parts Billy Keeble, Shelton Benjamin, circa 2004, <laughs> and yeah, any other wrestler you could think of, and me too. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I like Shelton Benjamin's nice little mustache. Yeah. Shelton's looking good. Yeah, he's he's not he's not great on the mic. One thing is the lisp. There's a there's a semblance of a lisp there. The Cody lisp. Yeah, so you know what Vince thinks of that. And there's one thing Vince hates more than a lisp, Billy, which is an athlete with a lisp who's tried really hard all their life to get rid of it, and then in a brief moment of nerves, a partial part of that lisp yeah. comes out, reminding you that all the work that they've done has been for nothing. Yeah, I felt so bad for him. I feel like he was done here as soon as the second line left his mouth. Yeah, he because he's not been in the company that long, really, has he? Two years, maybe a little bit more if you include. Has he been two years in here? Maybe more if you include developmental and OVW. Yeah, I just think it's a bit unfair to to throw the lad at Triple H, to be honest. Yeah, and particularly because Triple H is pretty much guaranteed if Chris Benoit has just won the world title. Triple H ain't getting that back. So what this is, this is a special young talent for Triple H to ruin and feel good about himself. So he'll he'll do the job later on. You know, Triple H is all up for this feud with lines like, nobody beats me. And you can have a nice little career for yourself based on what happened last week. Why don't you leave me alone? Got a rematch booked here for tonight. It's Sheldon and Triple H. Yeah, at first, Triple H isn't game, despite being the game. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he eventually agrees to it. We're going to be getting that tonight. Yeah. In this very ringer. And uh, it's going to be the greatest wrestler alive today, Triple H versus whoever you are. Anyone. <laughs> That's how he ends the promo. No one gets over like that. No. No one does. And you know, I'm surprised Sheldon didn't come out with a t-shirt saying, like, who am I? Like, right? It's my thing, guys. Just, oh, you can it. do that if that if, you know, in the match later ends in a clean, straight finish. You can I, I think you can yeah. do, end a promo on that. When you're gonna do end the promo on that and then end the match the way they do, I don't think it works. Look, all we know, Billy, is that somewhere, somewhere in Minnesota we have a young Curtis Axel taking notes and how to call out Triple H, beat him, and then nothing happened with it for the rest of his life. Well, I mean, Triple H legit forgot his name there. <laughs> Who's did. that? M- McGillicutty. N- no, it's not. His name's Curtis Axel. Oh, man, I got big nostalgia vibes for back in the day when WB be like, we went on tour. Do you want to see how we did? Here it is, and we get to see him in Mexico. Yay! <laughs> and it starts with, like, what are the cliches of Mexico? You know, let's have some, you know, maracas, 
some castanets, there's a donkey. It's a boro, Billy, okay? That's, I'll have you know. <laughs> it looked like a grand old tour, yeah. but yeah, I will say they started off with Victoria, who I had to check had just turned face because it didn't really suit the character that mm. I remembered of Victoria. Her with a big old sombrero and a pair of maracas being like, I'm in Mexico! And Billy... To say she had big Miss Frizzle energy from the Magic School Bus yes, was an understatement. Yes, she was definitely. here to tell you all about Mexico, but they cut away before words could leave her mouth. Coming up next, a little tune-up match. Atlanta Georgia's own, the World Heavyweight Champion, Chris Benoit, takes on Quebec's own Rob... Con- this is Rob Conway, folks, from La Resistance. Just to clear up, Chris Benoit is from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, not Atlanta, Georgia. Rob Conway is not from Quebec. No. Nor is he French. No. Do you remember what his deal was in La Resistance? So he he was originally brought in because La Resistance were beating him up. He was like an American-like car engineer. Servicemen of some sort, but not like a frontline battlefield guy because that would be in poor taste, obviously. And the Dudleys took umbrage with the fact that these these damn French Canadians were were beating on on this guy, Rob Conway. And then at the beatdown, they brought Rob Conway out and then he attacked. He, he attacked the Dudleys. He was a mole. He was a mole. Can you... Be- this Benedict Arnold, they would call yeah. him. This Benedict Arnold. And it's like, look at them, these two French bastards. And here's Rob Conway. Just look at me. <laughs> <laughs> this is <laughs> to see. This is before they change his name to Robert as well. Oh, this is Robert. Robert Conway. And he's got, they're like, I get Rob Conway's got a bit of genericism about him, all right? Mm. But they've changed his hair colour. They've like fiddled around with him in Crater Esther. They've given him jet black hair to make him look more French Canadian, is it? I guess. I don't know if that's a look, though. Is it the French Canadian? What, the fucking jet black boot polish hair? No, I don't think it is, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) I think, as well, am I right in saying when La Resistance, and it was. Sylvain Grenier and René Dupree, they weren't Quebecers. They were French. Like They came out with the French flag. They were from Paris. That was the whole gimmick. I think so, originally. And then they just changed it to Quebec. Maybe it's because getting it, WWE to move to Paris would have been way harder. Yeah. Quebec, same continent, so easier game, isn't it? Just up the road. So just so we know, we've got a Canadian man who, for the purposes of making him get over as more of a good guy, is being hailed from being from Atlanta, Georgia. And we've got a guy who probably is from Atlanta, Georgia, in Rob Conway. I think he's from Ohio. He's being portrayed as being from Canada yeah. because... It's 2004, the Iraq war is in full swing, and relations between Canada and America have never been worse. Never been worse. We we, like, we still remember what those damn Canadians did over there. Weren't they part of the Coalition of the Willing, Billy? I yep. thought they were. <laughs> yep, they're our side. What the fuck, <laughs> Oh, you France, you who they're as bad as, or allies. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's like, it's the same in 97. Like, I don't understand. I've never, I mean, obviously I'm not an American or Canadian, but I, I can't imagine there's any real beef there. That was kind of the joy a little bit of the 97 stuff was that, like we were saying it, it felt like the most safe kind of inter-country hatred you ever seen like because you were so sick of always seeing in wrestling if you go back from any period of time it's like they're riling you up against the foreigners here there and that mm. and it was just kind of bret hart riling up wrestling fans against other wrestling fans it didn't mm. actually feel that bad and a lot of the points they were bringing up were like well let's talk about why canada 
we still look after the old and don't lock our doors at night and no one steals our medicine because it's free. You know, that kind yeah. of a vibe. It, it felt like a lot safer. I don't think you could do anything of the sort now. If, you're, if anyone talking about how great New Zealand is as a character, they'd be like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> I had forgotten that young Johnny Nitro was Johnny Nitro with the Monday Nitro wrestling theme. Yes, please. Yeah. He is the special guest referee in this match which he explains to us in a nervous promo. Very, very nervous. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing him on Tough Enough 3 when we do it eventually. Yes, because he's he, he rocked up in that first episode of season two, but didn't get, make the cut, if I'm correct. But, but he will be back. Yeah, and he looks fucking exactly the same there as he does here, yeah. as he does now, 20 yeah. years later. He's, he's aged astonishingly well. Unreal, absolutely unreal. So yeah, it's a pretty simple, straightforward match where the special guest referee who's there to screw over Chris Benoit has got a bum arm, which means that he can't make the count for lack of trying. And Benoit just beats his opponent up. It was it was fine stuff. Craig yeah. loved Benoit. Great, great TV opener. No, nothing special, but not bad by any stretch. It is. I did. I did notice that La, Res, uh, La Resistance are dressed like little Jerry Lawlers. Oh, and their little kind of um, what's that called? The 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 shoulder pad business they got going on there with the frills. I don't know the name of it. They uh they came in to beat up Benoit towards the end of the match because the ref takes a bump. And I did note that they did the magic killer, which Gallows and Anderson did. And I just think it's quite disrespectful when veterans of the industry like Sylvain Grenier and Rob Conway are like disrespected like that yeah. by kind of like Gallows and Anderson, just kind of like Johnny Come Lately's, these like young vets just coming in doing what they want. I think it's kind of disgusting, if I'm honest. <laughs> a sign of the times, literally a sign of the times. I'm Rick James, capital B, rest of sign torn off because they're on the hard camera and they were told they had to leave otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> There's some weird signs. There was there was one that as the as the show just started where it just said Ian Butt. <laughs> so I think it's just, I think it's presumably just the guy's name, but it's just a funny name, isn't it? No, Ian Butt. Billy, he's what are you talking about? He's the the deputy commissioner for the XFL, Ian Butt. <laughs> what are you talking Friend of about? Dick Butkus. <laughs> so Benoit picks up the win, very dominant fashion. He makes Conway tap out to the cross face, and Nitro gets bopped at the end. He's rolling around in pain. And Jerry Lawler manages to find a, a way to make a Chris Benoit segment even more awkward when he screams about Johnny Nitro, Help! That young boy is hurt! Uh. Young boy! Really? <laughs> Anything else we could have called Johnny Nitro? He's, he's like 21, don't call him a young boy. What are you doing, Jerry? Yeah. He's not a young boy. <laughs> Backstage, William Regal arrives to meet Eric Bischoff. And... To show you what a little angry mark I was back in the day, I was like, Boo, William Regal, hate the British. <laughs> fucking hate the British, mate. Even though my favourite band in the streets, I fucking hate the British. <laughs> Don't talk to me about the British unless it's Mike Skinner doing a monologue. <laughs> he was out with a heart parasite, and I didn't know that at the time. So I'd like A to... heart parasite, Jesus. Yeah. Picked up on tour in India. He was on his deathbed at one point. He was out for like nine months to a year. Jesus. No wonder he says then that he's had more ups and downs this year than a whore's draws. Right. Uh, that's like doing the fucking, the sickness of disservice there. <laughs> uh, now, don't get me wrong. I like someone in, you know, invoking whore's draws as much as the next person, you know, because... Uh... <laughs> Well, he can't, he can't, as a heel, he can't say I was really sick and nearly died. Yeah, no, that's true. And I just, 
I think what it is, Billy, is just that the more I've come to learn about William Regal, the more I like him. And when I find out that there's someone who I really liked who was very unwell for a period of time, it does make me kind of like upset or whatever it is. It yeah. was it was weird, I think, to find this out. Bischoff has got a special assignment for him, Bill. Yeah, here we go. His sister has asked for a favour for Eric's nephew to come and sort of get a tryout and, you know, get, maybe get a job in the business. His... Uh, Name just so happens to be Eugene Dinsmore. He got a surname here. I didn't remember that. Yeah, he got a surname. I don't think it's going to last long. No, there's a lot about this now here. This was very intriguing. There's a lot about this character and this angle that, you know, I've not watched it since it happened back in the day, bar I'm sure some Bill's picks we've done, he showed mm. up. But I don't recall him having a surname. I did love as well when William Regal is one of the types of characters in wrestling who, when he talks long enough, he makes himself depressed. Because he's like, oh, I'll do anything for a job, Mr. Bischoff. Remember that one time I don't think you were here. Mr. McMahon pulled down his drawers and his backside came out and I didn't... <laughs> to kiss us, didn't I? And, uh, well, here we are. These Then I got that, um, I was sick, wasn't I? And um, here we are now. Did, like he he... Get it? Did he get it from the ass? <laughs> It's like in Twin Peaks The Return, that horrible monster crawled out of Vince's ass and went into uh, Regal's mouth and oh. took purchase in his body. Ah! Oh. No one kissed Vince's ass ever again. There could be more of them in there. I love a bit of nepotism in wrestling, Billy. Yeah, they properly on... He's a very special performer. You know, it was like, oh yes, I, I see he's special. No, no, he's special. Special. Oh, and the fucking the, the line at the end here where Bischoff and he literally turns to camera. No, William, it really is that simple. <laughs> I'm winking, William. You- yeah. Simple, simple. Right. What are you doing there, uh, Mr. Bischoff? Oh, nothing. Just reading Forrest Gump on DVD. It's that <laughs> simple, really. Oh, f- oh, well, geez, I wonder what they're going to do with it, Billy. I wonder what angle they're going to go. By the way, crowd, fucking silent with this. Well, they don't know what to expect. <laughs> they're <just> scared. Yeah. <laughs> it's time for the sting of the night. <laughs> Is this the one that's sponsored by that heinous-looking drink? I think when we did our live show, we talked about Stacker 2 and, like, a lot of the problems with Stacker 2. I think that could be a whole episode in its own, the Stacker 2 saga. But, yeah, Triple H, the pitch man there, where he's, like, looking all cool in his sunglasses. You gotta feel the sting, man. (laughs) I don't want to drink anything that has wasps on it. No, or Triple H. Wasps and Triple H, those are the biggest heels there are. Come on. I mean, I don't mind a bee. Have a bee on your Boddingtons, but a wasp—that's a different—that's a different creature. No, exactly. I don't want none of that shit. If a wasp is going to be making an energy drink, it's going to taste like fizzy bedlin or something like that. Yeah. I don't want that. No thanks. Here's the thing that struck me most about this, Billy. I know a lot of people have covered this time or have looked back on this time, and it's like, oh, Triple H, the reign of terror, and all that. And I always like in my naivety because we quite enjoy Triple H on our podcast. Yeah. Because we've kind of circumnavigated all the worst shit that he's done. Yeah. But I always thought, it's like, ah, well, he was like a heel who had a lot of heat and he had a lot of stroke. And there weren't, there were a lot of top good guys who left and they weren't good enough at building them up Mm. to have a challenge for him. And then I see Triple H 
being in the opening segment two feuds and then he's the one who's fucking plugging the energy drink and i think no he genuinely thinks he's the top star of this show like no questions asked well he he, he is though i mean it's it's him it's sean it's arguably benoit but really at this time who else have we like mm, i mean i i'm trying to think in terms of pitchmen for energy drinks and benoit and michaels have got to be a little bit lower down than triple h now that yeah. i think about it you know maybe jericho maybe yeah but that's not happening now with fucking no. with triple h absolutely not but the sting of the night as speak of the devil is jericho himself he was recycling some of his old material on Trish Stratus when he was calling her the old things he used to call Stephanie McMahon because yeah. Trish broke his heart and it's 2004 and that's how things are dealt with in the public forum and wrestling. So if Y2J's got to recycle material on Trish, I might as well recycle some material on him. He blocked me on Twitter after I wrote this, so I'm not sure if it's... Uh, a good I did see. How are you handling? <laughs> it's just, i got to respect the game of a man who's vanity searching puns of him you know that's pretty you know and he's a man who made a lot of puns in his career so he obviously came to dance you know and i didn't say jerry covid 19 because i was like happy or wanted him to get sick nor i wish anyone to get sick or anything like that but i do honestly think and i want you to know this genuinely that if you're spending a lot of time in a public platform raising conspiracy theories and talking about how covid's not that big of a deal that we should open things up and that your experience as a millionaire in florida is indicative of anyone else's Mm. and if you get at a sturgis rally that also is a super spreader event like it's not as funny as smash mouth i'll give you that yes (laughs) but it's still very funny you Mm. know you got chris jericho taking on matt hardy and we got trish stratus and christian showing up they're a power couple Billy, no one's calling them Christian. What's going on? Oh, that, they're, they're losing out there. It's the era of the couple name, right? I, I was going to say, oh, you could do it the other way, but that's just Chris. <laughs> Chris! <laughs> and Jerry Lawler, once again, uh, is the voice of reason as it relates to how women should be spoken about on commentary, and I hate ever having to say yeah, that. He, he's a heel by saying, you shouldn't call women sluts. And Jerry's like, fine, I'll call her a goddamn two-tongued Jezebel instead. <laughs> Slow your own. I much prefer angry JR to horny JR, which is what we yeah. have these days. But even still, he's come here to fight the women tonight, folks. Matt Hardy version one. The picture in picture, which I don't know if it was the network, but it looked like it was lagging, which really made me laugh. It was done to make it look like it lagged. Because Matt wanted you to think that you were going on to, you know, myspace or whatever and loading up the old flash player rest in peace pour one out for the flash player folks yeah dicks out for flash we were literally this episode the research was hindered because flash is no longer available that's yeah. where we're at right now so there you go <laughs> and we also got two matt facts straight from mattitude.com what are they bill matt has broken his nose three times got to be more than now i would imagine <laughs> <laughs> probably and my favorite fact about any wrestler matt never over orders in restaurants wow he knows right. exactly what he wants and that'll be enough yeah but if you've got space in your fridge and you can organize a doggy bag you never over order anywhere billy that's exactly. just what i'm saying i'm speaking in 2021 what is ordering i've never done it ever i don't know what <laughs> it is anymore what is ordering food that you speak of the fucking lack of chemistry between Trish Stratus and Christian, who are literally meant to be sexy heels who can't keep their hands off each other. They're even sat down together. Yeah, I wouldn't. Why, why you would put these two together? I don't know. Because they go on and on and on telling you for years how creepy and weird Christian is. And then Trish is like, I'm with him. And then yeah. they just talk about how hot Trish is. And Christian's still like rubbing his nipples like, Bleh! 
<laughs> What's going on? Yeah, Christian is the last person I'd put Trish with. This Christian, anyway. They're like, haven't even done a thing where it's like, oh, I'm just with him to like wind you up or something like that because he was your friend. Like, they are making out that these two are fucking like Bonnie and Clyde mm. and there's nothing going on between them at all. We got a pretty straightforward, decent encounter between these two. They know what they're doing together. They have constant cuts back to Trish and Christian, who are doing things like looking in the same direction and looking down at the floor. You know, they're plotting all sorts of things. Yeah. We get the walls of Jericho. Matt Hardy taps out. And then it cuts to Trish and Christian, who are like, happy. And I was very confused by this. They, they do a little kiss. JR was pissed off about that. He didn't want that at all. Like, Yeah. So, the rules of the match clearly state this is a kiss your sister stipulation <laughs> not a kiss your girlfriend this is kissing Trish this is different come on now JR turns to us to hype up Mick Foley oh my goodness I don't know we were getting this promo here tonight yeah. this is pretty intense it is it's great and a promo going into one of my favourite Foley matches ever I think it is the best Foley match ever you know mm. I, it's so fucking good the only thing that's not perfect about it is that he comes out dressed up like Cactus Jack and he comes out to Mankind's music like it's a broken fucking video game and I right. hate that right. but other than that it's perfect he looks so good here Oh my! He is down to like two hundred and thirty pounds here. It's the lightest he'd ever been in his life. I, I think he looks better here than he did at any point during the Attitude Era. He is better here than he was. Mm. Like he's lighter. He can move better. He has got a fucking tank of gas on him. And honestly, some of these matches from this time period, oh four to oh six, some of them mix his pest really. Yeah. I love you know. this Orton match. Oh, like, him so versus Orton at Backlash is an incredible match. I had a lot of weird feelings about this feud when I was a kid because my precious, most precious memories of watching wrestling during the Attitude Era was watching it with my cousin. Mm. And my cousin was my best pal to watch wrestling with. We both loved Mick Foley. He liked tests, you know, couldn't help everything about him. Yeah. But we both loved Mick Foley. We read the book together. We loved Mankind. We loved Dude Love, Cactus Jack. Commissioner Mick Foley was like literally peak times of watching wrestling. And literally when Foley left he stopped watching wrestling. That was it. It's like, eh, don't want to watch it anymore. And here I come three years later and it was this exact promo. And I'm like, Mick Foley's fucking back, baby. <laughs> and I showed it to him one Saturday morning and he was like, yeah, yeah. You know the way when someone is kind of like a little embarrassed for you, but they can see that something means something to you. And like, yeah, yeah, it's good. Like you show them like, yeah. I don't know, fucking your Warhammer or whatever. But my mom, my Necrons, I spent so long like, on them. Like he's not realized you're still watching. Yeah, it was kind of the embarrassment of that superseded. Mick did a good promo and has lost a bit of weight. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot more potent that. And I think as a result, I was a bit like, arms crossed about this promo and the build-up to this match because i thought well if it's not going to get my cousin back interested what good is it then and it's fucking amazing and my yeah. cousin didn't know shit and neither did i it's so good this promo another friend i saw in my box of favorite things randy orton say hello to my friend barbie. and barbie's not gonna kick your ass Barbie is going to get sunk into your skull and I'm going to carve caverns of gore into your virgin flesh. I'm going to... I'm going to bring on the type of bleeding usually reserved for special effects teams in Mel Gibson biblical efforts. 
Randy Orton, I am going to tear you apart. I'm going to take Barbie. And I'm going to take off. I'm going to take Barbie. And I'm, I'm going to take Barbie. I'm going to teach you what it means to be hardcore. I'm going to rip. I'm going to tear. I am going to gorge. I'm going to possibly disembowel. And I'm going to... Love it. I got goosebumps. The whole sort of Orton killing legends feud is great, I think. Oh, so fucking good. I can't wait to do Randy Orton and how to wrestling just because that is like his backstory of what he, mm. it makes him him. It's so fucking good. I, I saw a tweet the other day where it's like it was a. Uh, <laughs> it was Joe Pesci showed up to be a made man in Goodfellas as like Randy Orton showing up to Legends Night 2040 assuming that he's going to become you know, a legend like all the people he killed <laughs> ah! <laughs> but the thing with Foley was a little bit different do you remember some of the things that he did to Foley that like kind of crossed the line and he wanted to goad him back into wrestling not specifically with Foley I just remember the match mainly he spat on Foley's face and they had the whole segment where Randy challenged him to a match on Raw for the Intercontinental Belt. And he's like, come on, Mick, you're going to challenge me. You're so tough. You're going to challenge me. Come on, wrestle me. And Mick, literally, they did a thing where he like he went up to the ring and he started walking back, shuffling back. And JR was like, if I know Mick Foley, he's going to take a, a big, long sprint of that ring. I'm like, with those knees? All right. <laughs> <laughs> with the cadaver tendons? All right. And then Foley turns around and walks away and he's all like, I ain't got it no more. I'm scared. Like I'm scared to wrestle this 22-year-old fucking killer. And as he's walking away, Randy spits in his face. But it's not just any spit. He goes like... You know, oh, it's he got, hocks a lug. Oh, it's got jelly in it, Billy. It's, oh, like a, dear. It's, it's like an eyeball comes out of his fucking mouth. It's disgusting. And that is kind of the, meant to be the point where Foley is, is brought back into the fold. This promo where he's talking about... At the start, it's very ECW, this like... You oh, know, yeah. You think you're talking about a sexy lady? No, I'm talking about a flannel shirt. I haven't got a sex problem like Bret Hart. I just like clothes. <laughs> my my only real complaint about this is it it was maybe a tiny bit too long. Yeah, this promo. It was a great promo. You could have cut out maybe the first five of it, and then the last five to ten were fucking awesome. The gist of it is, I'm not a hateful person. But I was involved in a lot of hateful stuff over the years, and I purposely avoided doing things like watching the death matches from Japan or mm. what I did to Terry Funk and all of these other people. And he said, I promised I wouldn't watch those matches, but you made me go back and watch those matches. And I was so upset to see the look in my eyes because I clearly loved what I was doing. And yeah. that's who I clearly am. I've been lying to myself that I'm this nice guy. Oh, my fucking God, yeah. Bill. When he goes, those poor people in Japan who had to watch week in, week out what I would do, those poor people. <laughs> and the thing as well, he's like, the men I did it to, people like Terry Gordy, like these were nice men who I respected. Mm. What do you think I'm going to do to you? I'm going to <laughs> fuck you up, young man. <laughs> it's, oh. And he's like, I'm not going to kick your ass because everyone's like, I'm going to kick your ass. So instead, with the most fucking poetic, over-the-top, lay-on-thick, twice-buttered bread Mick Foley, I am going to carve caverns of gore into your virgin flesh <laughs> oh <laughs> 
this Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> now, that, now, whatever about Undertaker eviscerating CM Punk, we need a coming up later tonight. Mick Foley carves caverns of gore into the virgin flesh of Randy Orton. <laughs> we've just Randy Orton with his arms crossed, you know. <laughs> I don't sweat you, Mick Foley. <laughs> it's great. It's fucking awesome. He's just saying, like, you've brought back the old Mick Foley. This only works because he looks so healthy mm. and so full of fire. The twinkles there in his eyes. It's great stuff, you know? That, that's the thing that's going to get you to watch Backlash. Yeah. I mean, as good as a rematch will be between... I can't remember if the, the Backlash rematch between the triple threat for the title is any good. Oh, but... it's really good. It's not as good as the WrestleMania match because you haven't got the catharsis of the victory and Triple yeah. H losing and Benoit winning or whatever. But that, the, the Foley... Randy that's or... getting you to watch in. That's, the, that's yeah. the thing that's getting people to watch. I was more excited for Backlash than WrestleMania that year because mm. I was so annoyed that it was a you know handicap tag with Evolution and Rock and Suck. I didn't want that. I wanted Foley and Orton. I wanted that. And particularly as well at WrestleMania when Orton pinned Foley, I was like, eh! <laughs> no, this was just the fucking tonic right here. I love this shit. And yeah, sorry, cousin, from back in the day, but your lack of interest in wrestling just because you're grown up and you've got taste now, doesn't mean that I'm not going to go back and enjoy this, because I missed out, let me tell you. <laughs> oh yeah, and he destroys the set afterwards, which is great. Yes. Then we get a weird pull-out, where it's then revealed that Randy is watching that on the TV. It's like <laughs> it's, it's like the, the camera has come through the TV, and we're revealed to show that Randy's watching it. It's very a bit Lynchian. I like that. I liked it a lot, because mm. you go from Mick Foley, he's smashing stuff, like, no, Mick, no, and he's breaking everything with his barbed wire bat. And it cuts back to Randy. He looks genuinely scared, and Ric Flair's like, don't worry about it, champ, Mick Foley sucks. Woo! He'll be in a wheelchair by the time he wrestles you, baby! Woo! <laughs> and then Batista's behind him, just looking stern. Yeah, and then Triple H comes in, he's like, Hey guys, and like, look at him, he's always confident. He's all, look at his confidence, he's always confident. And Triple H didn't look very confident there now, if I'm, if I'm quite oh, honest. No. He looked a little bit sad, he had a rough weekend. <laughs> Out in the ring, it's the nature boy himself. He is now the ring announcer. If ever there was a job Ric Flair was born to do in wrestling. Yeah. Other than wrestling. Other than wrestling, he, he would make a great ring announcer. Bischoff has said that anyone who comes out to the ring who isn't there for official business, is going to be in big trouble. Big trouble. Huge. And that is why all of Evolution have got special jobs to help ruin this match. Ric Flair is the rig announcer. Batista is the timekeeper. I know what you're thinking. Oh, that's quite a small role and an odd one to cast a Batista in. And yet he owns it and brings it into his own, doesn't he? And yeah. he gives you a... Wow, what a character actor. It's like we knew all along. <laughs> This is his role like he did in Blade Runner 20-whatever. It's it's better than he thought it had any rights to be, him being timekeeper here. And <laughs> Randy Orton is a trainer, and Jesus Christ, in 2004, a bad omen, Jerry's like, I don't think we've ever had a trainer at a WWE event before. <laughs> Randy's there with, like, a towel and a first aid kit. Like he's got, he's got a towel, a bucket, a stool, and a bottle of water. Like, it's boxing. <laughs> There's something about Randy Orton coming out to Motorhead with all of that kit and the Intercontinental title and trying to do like the smug young cocky bastard yeah, pose. It's it really... really funny. It really made me laugh. As well as after Batista's announced to be the, the timekeeper, they uh, I, th I think JL goes, well, what about Mark Eaton? <laughs> He's right there. Fuck Mark Eaton. <laughs> He's fired. <laughs> 
it really does though absolutely underscore the fact that you get in wrestling a cycle of you think you say yourself it's 10 years it's barely that like this is just the austin mcmahon business with the stooges we did it over the edge 98 it's the same thing you know the bit what they're doing with Shelton now, the young kid beating, you know, the, the upset win, one, two, three kid, Razor Ramon, you know, the career of Daniel Bryan. There's, they use these same kind of bits over and over. It's no more so than the ring collapsing. You know, there's, it feels like a lot of the tools in wrestling that were once recycled every decade yeah. are now coming out every two or three years and we're running through them like a rate of knots. Yeah, it's getting faster and faster every, every couple of years. But I, I've got to say this, is delightfully stupid. <laughs> Ric Flair, who, for whatever reason, maybe it's because he doesn't want to be in Bischoff's pocket. He doesn't really bury Shelton or anything. He's like, from Orangeburg, South Carolina, Shelton Benjamin. Woo! Yeah, he just gives him a normal intro. And then Triple H also gets pretty much a normal intro, you know? Yeah. It'd be like if if you ordered a cameo of Ric Flair and said, can you just read out these ring introductions, please? <laughs> Shelton is distracted and beaten up throughout the match. I like that the story straight away seems to be that Triple H is going for the countout victory. Like, that is the strategy to be employed yeah. here. Throw him out of the ring. Batista throws him against the barricade. Throws him out the ring again. Orton throws him into a barricade. It's just... We're trying to keep him down outside. It is kind of weird because the storytelling's all over the place, isn't it? Because the obvious story here is, like, you meant to draw a parallel between... You know, Benoit, his tune-up match, he was fighting on all comers. You know, he had the special ref against mm. him. He had La Resistance on the outside. And Triple H in his tune-up match, he's doing it out of hate and he's got all this help on the outside. But then Shawn Michaels hasn't got a tune-up match and they don't really talk about the triple threat at all during this. And it's kind of like, we're trying to do 10 things at once here. Yeah. There's no fucking like, discipline, it feels like. I don't think as well. It feels like this has been done because Triple H is a heel. It, it it feels like, based on what he was saying before, he would want this to be a definitive, clean finish. It would have worked so much better. That's the thing that confused me. Is like Based on what he said and how it's a fluke, surely the, the, the Triple H we all know, that character, is one going to prove it's not a fluke by out-wrestling Shelton. Yeah, and they're not even telling the story. And like, I'm not, I'm not like trying to body shame or anything like that. But you can't help but like look at Triple H over the years. There's periods of time where he's tacking on mass in a big mm. way, and he he's heavy here. He's big, but he's not as like fucking cyborg as he looks these days. And that's probably because you know Triple H is the is the guy here who's rested all the fucking house shows and he's resting, banged up and hurt and yeah. all that. It just didn't do a lot for my Triple H fandom to see him looking not particularly great, fucking all stubbly and like meant to look disheveled his face is all mangled up to fuck and he's like trying to get a countdown victory it's like when you're playing career mode in a 2k game you just want to go to bed and you want to save you don't put your heart into the match yeah. that you're doing or something like that and you know the obvious story here is that Sheldon costs Triple H's rematch at the title and then you do you know Michaels and Benoit and then Triple H and Benjamin at the pay-per-view but uh, no 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 He's not ready for that, you know. We got to have him beat Triple H twice and then never again. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> there is a very big chance at 51 minutes and 50 that betrayed the era in which we were watching this. Uh, Randy's gay. Oh, I did not catch that whatsoever. Well, in fairness, he was holding that towel and that, that stool in a very gay manner. You know, the crowd were just all over him, Billy. They had to say it. it well, you could tell just by the look of that bucket. Yeah. <laughs> 
Do you see the way he carries that bucket? It's like a North expression. Isn't it? Well, I'm not saying anything about him, but the way he carries his bucket on the way back from yard, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Nothing really much happens in terms of offense for Triple H. Yeah, we get a couple of Sheldon's big spots like the Dragon Whip in Zagiri, but we find them both outside the ring and Sheldon just kind of beats the count and Triple H is outside going, Oh no, I lost. And it's, yeah, let's beat Triple H in a big upset and then beat him in a slightly less impressive way the yeah. following week. It, it should have been the same again. It should have been a, a pinfall finish. It's so bad. Look, you should view it like if you're going to go on a series of dates, right? And you, you don't take him to the Owl Sanctuary and then follow it up with, you know, fucking Netflix and chill, right? Mm. You got you, you, you to stack, you you stack this, right? You got you to gotta build to something here, all right? <laughs> you got you, you can't just go to the spice museum whenever, right? No, no, you know, you gotta you gotta tailor this to what's happening here. So it feels like and I feel very mean saying this, that even though Shelton beats Triple H, it does feel like a poisoned chalice. Yes. And I also would not be surprised if this was not the original finish. What would you reckon it would have been originally? I think it would have been a pinfall. Am I fucking going over? Yeah. I, I, I generally think that may have happened. I'll only do it if it's, it ends in such a schmoz that it does absolutely nothing for Shelton. And then afterwards, you get the big evolution beatdown. Four on one. And they, they hard way him. Like, they proper yeah. beat the bollocks out of him. There's a big Shelton-shaped bloodstain on the mat for the rest of the fucking cards. And... The cavalry come out, but like only after Shelton's like lost yeah, half the blood in his body. I don't know why. It's so late, so afterward, like you know, it, the EMTs are nearly already to him, and that's when you know HBK, Benoit, and Foley run out. Well, that you know what that is, Billy. Then the EMTs remember the scourge of the self-proclaimed world's greatest tag team. They're like, mm. hold back a second. Let's just let's just see how Mister World's greatest <laughs> tag. Let's see how he betrayed Crangle. Don't forget. Don't you forget the things that he did to Los Guerreros? Okay, him and his boy Charlie Haas run roughshod over here tend to earn some respect <laughs> so yeah there's Sheldon in a pile of blood I think he takes on Rick at the pay-per-view but again within a few weeks Sheldon's just kind of intercontinental title a good hand yeah. that's it and the next time they do something like this I think is Bobby Lashley in 06 yeah where it's like hey it's the but again Bobby Lashley was built as a powerhouse he got mm. the powerhouse push what happened with Sheldon here it's just so irritating because it felt like any time he did, he improved because he improved within the constraints of like, hey, good run on ECW or good job with the US title or, you know, good job with mid-card to SmackDown. Any of his accomplishments or improvements will always be dwarfed by, well, he beat Triple H in 04, where do you go from there? You mm. know, it's like he improved, but on paper, he didn't. He regressed, and I don't like that. It's a real shame because he's, he's good. Like, you know, in the... When we got the package of what happened on the previous match, all the little looks and all the little holding up his fingers to do, indicate numbers to Triple H, and just doing the things back to him were really great. He's I got thought. it, like absolutely. He's got it. He is there. It's just who, where do you go from here? There's no, you can't go up a level once you're at Triple H. I hate when a wrestler has like really good chemistry, like with someone in the ring, or they have really good personality that you see in the ring, and you don't see it 
if they're stood with a fucking microphone after someone's done a promo saying they don't even know their name. Yeah, surprisingly, not the best scenario to show out your fucking mm. charisma. But I hate where it's like, nah, the fact that Sheldon can give you those little looks and those little moments and those glances, like that's star power. That's the real hard to find stuff. Anyone can fucking cut a promo. You practice it long enough. Actually be able to have the twinkle in your eye at the right moment when the camera zooms in on you and you go, ooh, this close. That's star power. Yeah, but look, and he has it. 2021, Sheldon Benjamin's still a fucking star and having to prove it. To, you know, it, it doesn't matter, really, if you're that good, it seems, in Vince McMahon's eyes. No. It's time for the Divas Battle Royale. Oh, man! Divas Battle Royale! Oh, man! <laughs> Divas Royale! Oh, man! The, the, fact, the fact he gives it all that and then what happens here is ludicrous. He literally, I wrote this down here. People are always saying, like, oh, he doesn't sound like Gruntilda. Yes, listen, he, I, I counted the who's and has here. Who ha <laughs> I don't like these new Pokemon, man. They're not as good as the original. <laughs> yeah, he calls it the Diva Royale. And I swear to God, I'm not making this shit up. Our contestants in the Divas Battle Royale, Leah, Stacey Keebler, Trish Stratus, Jazz, Nidia, Gail Kim, Molly Holly. Right, we got some names here, Billy. It's pretty stacked. Good wrestlers in here. Yeah. Yes, you've got some divas who were babes of the year, etc. But we got some great talent in this ring. So things I enjoyed from people coming out, Molly wearing a wig held on with a chin strap. <laughs> I enjoyed that. <laughs> I also really liked Gail Kim's weird bootleg all the things she said theme song. It's like, it's like all the things she said, but yeah. every word has to be removed for the radio editors. Like, <laughs> or Billy Gunn is singing it. <laughs> I was going to say dolphins, but Billy Gunn's better. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's funny to see the array of talent and like you could draw a graph of like skills and abilities to amount that you were pushed and it's like gail molly jazz are probably the three workers in here and those are the three like yeah. absolute bottom of the barrel you know no <laughs> genuinely when i saw the three the seven women who are in this i was genuinely we're gonna see something good here well yeah because i thought you've got three you know women in there who can hold it all together you've got trish and leah who are big big stars who are super over with the crowd and i thought couple of people who know what they're doing, a couple of people who maybe know less so what they're doing, and a couple of stars. That'll be grand, right? What yeah. happens after commercial break, Billy? I think it's seconds before the bell even rings, we get to a commercial break, come back, and the only people left in the ring are Jazz, Lita, and Trish, and Jazz is eliminated within seconds of coming back from that break. So we've missed the whole fucking thing. It is fucking ridiculous. It is it is such a fucking parody. Like uh, the amount of times in how to like we did an episode about Gail Kim and I had to explain she eliminated herself from one of these battle royals because mm. she just didn't give a fuck. And like even that paled in comparison to this. When we come back from break, Jr. is like, "I'm so sorry, ladies and gentlemen, the match is almost over." <laughs> like what the fuck, Jr. It's yeah. so shit. Right now. There's part of us all as wrestling fans that likes nothing more than the entrances and the finishes of the match. And guess what, Billy? One of the most preeminent names in wrestling media in the UK once told me over a pint that if they had their way, they'd just watch the entrances, the finishes, and never have to deal with any of that boring shite in the middle. <laughs> Whoops! I'll never... Don't worry. I'll never tell you who it is. I'll never tell you who it is. But there's, there's one of them out there, is all I'm saying. There's a canary in the coal mine, or whatever it may be. <laughs> 
<laughs> a partridge amongst the pigeons, if it were. Even at my laziest, when I'm like, just show me the entrances, man. This was just so fucking shit. Like, the most athletic thing you see is Jazz sailing over the top rope. Yeah. They don't, and then they show you the replays, and it's like fucking Stacey Keebler, who, like, is taller than the top rope, going under the bottom rope because it's, you know, a Divas Battle Royale. Yeah. It's so fucking shit. And you know what? There was a part of you that could go, well, you got Lee and Trish in there. Those are like two two names who were known. Like they're four years on in the company at this point. And I usually will go to bat for Lee and Trish, but fuck me, they were rough as shit here. This yeah. was so bad. It was so bad. This was worse than in 2000 where they're pulling each other's clothes off and they don't even know how to wrestle. This is so much worse. It's just like, yes, Victoria's the champion. That's a bit, you know, new for a change. Yeah. But then just immediately going to like Lita and Trish again. We've been doing this for three, four years. Give someone else a go. The crowd are into it, but like, I'm not sure if it's because she's just back from injury or if it's like, you know, Trish similarly hadn't wrestled in a while and she just had a big character change. But it's like, it's the fucking shit list of things in wrestling that annoy you it's like someone going for a punch and then person flinching before they actually hit them yeah. or like them looking at each other and both shrugging and then like running against the road you know there's like, there's such a lack of communication is it like the bit that they we saw was meant to be in the commercial break and the bit that was in the commercial break we were meant to see <laughs> yeah but the people actually can wrestle wrestled oh it was really fucking bad i was really shocked because you know they have some decent matches they have the main event on raw this year where Lita nearly breaks her neck but it's still really good this was fucking awful Finish comes when Y2J comes out in a sexy beast t-shirt. Ooh. I'm married, baby! Come on! One bit I, I did enjoy, which is when Trish, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, kicked Lee in the stomach so loud. Yeah. It looked like it was proper got her in the ribs. Oh my fucking God. It almost like made me go, all right, all the flinching and stuff from the previous five minutes is forgiven because you, I think, broke a rib there when you Randy did Orton watched that from backstage and got an idea. <laughs> so there is a distraction and Trish is tossed out over the top rope. Lita picks up the win in a very telling Divas Battle Royale because I've watched so many interviews with the likes of Trish and Gail and like all the women from this time because I've done episodes about this time for how to and they're always talking like give me the roster from 04 we had Jazz we had Victoria we had Molly we had everyone they were so good and like yeah so good we can't show them to you yeah (laughs) fucking shit it's time for the Smackdown Rebound where Kurt Angle is announcing there's the Great American Award which is excuse for JBL to debut into the uh, the world title scene. This is the, so this is his debut, is it, JBL? Second appearance, I think. The week before, he's like, I'm JBL, and I hate Ron Simmons. And now, <laughs> <laughs> and now he's like, I'm JBL, don't put any beer in my hat, please. I fucking adored this. Uh, you know, I just read Dude, Where's My Country? And I was asking JBL, as an Irish child, what has happened to your brackets my country (laughs) where's the oil jbl why were we even in iraq jbl so yeah we've got a little tournament for the number one contendership 
against Eddie. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's great Americans, you know. So it, it's anyone who who classifies as a great American, great Americans like Charlie Haas and Rikishi and all the yeah. other great Americans that we we know and care about. If I remember, the way it ended is that Kirk gives it to JBL just because. Yeah, but then we get then we get a cracking feud though. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that is watching that little segment there made me go okay if you're going to pick between raw and smackdown in 04 i think it's going to be smackdown like i mm. think it is is my preferred cup of tea you know i don't want quite as much triple h as as you're offering me and yes raw has probably got 10 times as many female wrestlers as smackdown does but smackdown probably shows you the ones that it has as equal amount of time as raw does so yeah uh-oh, we're trying to find Eugene with William Regal, this this kid, this yeah. special talent. Where is he? Is it this generic man, Garrison Cage? No, that's Garrison Cage. Yeah, no, but we, we do see, you know, Eugene. We do see he's, he is in the foreground. He's there. Uh, he keeps shouting out Eugene, and then he, there's, there's someone parroting his name, saying Eugene, Eugene, and uh, there we see him, Mr. Nick Dinsmore. This was a lot different to what I remembered Eugene being. Like, this was not Eugene as I recalled him at all, really, if I'm honest. This is more sedate, I, I thought. Yeah! If the character stayed as it was here, I I don't think there would be as much controversy around the character, maybe. I don't know. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we, we sent out a tweet just asking kind of general thoughts on the character or whatever. And I think a, a lot of what came back and certainly what makes us think that we probably need to think about this and talk about this a bit more over, over the next episode or two, if we're going to look at more of this uh, time period, is that a lot of people, a lot of people are either torn between this is fucking tasteless and fucking horrible and shit and this was tasteless and horrible and shit, but at the time... I got behind him because I was a kid and I, it made me feel good that this character was getting over and whatnot. So a lot of people, mm. a lot of people got in touch and they told us, you know, that they had felt empowered to see something like this on TV. I've had messages from people saying this made me turn off wrestling for several years. Yeah. So I don't think it's as clear cut as this was a very obviously bad thing or a good thing. I think the only obvious thing to say about it is that it probably all being said is more hassle than it's worth for them to try and explain because yeah. while it may have held up a mirror to how stuff like this was displayed on television at the time or given WWE being a million years behind everything five years prior in Hollywood, maybe, but certainly in 2021 or any of the last 10 years, it, it don't feel like that at all, Bill. No, <laughs> Not at all. Like. He's got... Uh, a piece of paper pinned to his jacket that says, hello, my name is Eugene, in, in messy handwriting. Gives Regal a big hug. That was his Titantron for ages, I remember. It was like the, the note being written yeah. out. And the idea was like, there's a lot of these kind of bits where it's obviously stuff in the writing room where they're like, oh yeah, and they should have this. They'd staple a note to you saying what your name is in case you got like lost or something like that. Like there's a lot of well-meaning stuff here that comes across mean-spirited, but from my vantage point looking back at it 17 years later, it does seem like a lot of it is kind of mean-spirited from the get-go, like it's played for yucks. Yeah. The person who, according to Nick Dinsmore, the person who plays Eugene, said the person who wrote the predominant amount of the actual segments involved was uh, is Gerwitz. Really? So Brian Gerwitz. Gerwitz, who would have written most of the Rock stuff, Edge yeah. and Christian stuff, or anything that WWE would have labelled as comedy from the years like 99 to 08, pretty much. And apparently Brian Gerwitz even 
pitched a Eugene movie. Shit. Hang on a second now. Because Gerwitz, he, he went on to write movies. He works yeah. for The Rock now in his production company. So oh. he, Nick Dinsmore reckons, because it was originally pitched to him, then he heard nothing of it. He reckons it might be Knucklehead, the Big it Show is. movie. No, I was thinking, as soon as you said a movie in Gerwitz, because I knew he wrote... He wrote Knucklehead. That is 100% true, because it makes no sense that it's Big Show in that movie. It honestly does make zero sense. Yeah, so it's supposed to, it's, it was written for Nick Dinsmore. Wow, how about that? I mean, this is um, a time period as well where you have things like, you know, the, the Ringer with Johnny Knoxville came out around this mm. time as well, which similarly falls into that, like... People who don't seem to be affected by it say, yeah, it was in good taste. And then, like, there's kind of a lot of other opinions as well, which probably are slightly more important. Mm. I don't know about you. I'd heard so many different things about the origin and the genesis of this character over the years. I'm not really sure where it goes because a number of times I remember people being shut down on Reddit going, well, Eugene actually made this character. It's 100% Nick Dinsmore's idea because people always come at it from, oh, don't hate on Nick Dinsmore. He was made to do this. And then people go, no, actually, as a matter of fact, it was his idea. He didn't come up with the character as far as I can actually tell. So so what are the, the, the piece of information i listened to was an art of wrestling episode from 2015 right which is just after he's left nxt as a trainer right right and he said there are two two people who are basically the inspiration and creator of the character in a way did he have a family member or something like that because i had heard something like there was a member of his family and that that was his inspiration because there was someone in his family like who eugene was meant to represent and that was his love letter to like it was like a brother or a cousin or something is that true or not a family member it's rip rogers son oh rip rogers ovw trainer yeah would have been where nick dinsmore wrestled Yeah. yeah rip rogers son marcus who he uh, calls Muggsy, who is autistic, apparently came up with the idea of somebody who was like him, bad socially, had difficulty doing, you know, things that people take for granted, like tying your shoes, but is a sort of an encyclopedia for wrestling. That's something about the Eugene character that I always actually... I loved, which was the the savant type of thing. Like they they wanted to obviously go for it to be like Rain Man or whatever. Yeah. Although I think it's kind of silly because like I I watched a few interviews with Eugene Nick Dinsmore as well, and he's like, well, it's kind of like Rain Man. How you know you see the character in Rain Man, you don't know that there's like anything different about him, but then you realize his mind works completely differently. And like, yeah, well, in fairness, look at how they're dressing Eugene here with his fucking you know shoes on back to front and his fucking yeah. buttons all done up. They want you to think a certain thing when you see him. Yeah. But the idea of someone being like a savant in wrestling thing and having that like incredible like i've taught a lot of autistic children like it was one of my specialisms in school and it's something i found very interesting because the capacity not for everyone but a lot of people are on the spectrum to learn is fucking mind-blowing it's incredible it's Mm. honestly amazing so yeah i think there's a lot of misinformation about the genesis of that character because i'm pretty sure i had heard from other people as well that there was like it was like Pritchard or someone I heard in those circles that like there was someone in the McMahon kind of inner circle. It was like t- the son or a family member of like one of the seamstresses or the tailor or someone who made the boots or something like that. It was the son of the bootmaker. Right. Was yeah. Eugene. Right. Okay. So the name is actually related yeah. to that. Then. So, right. so the name comes from this kid who was the son of the guy who, who made the boots. And this was in the time of, like, the Bulldogs. They're from Pittsburgh, 
and all of the guys loved this kid. And apparently, one story that Nick talked about in in art of wrestling was apparently this kid would go into the the locker room and take all of the guys' Rolexes, <laughs> put them all on his arm, then take Vince McMahon's coat. And he would just walk around gorilla strutting, wearing all the guys' Rolexes in a big coat. And that was the night the curtain came back. Mr. McMahon was born. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently apparently Vince loved this kid. All the guys in the back loved this kid. And apparently this kid was particularly fascinated and a bit infatuated with Moolah. Right, okay. Because I had heard as well that that kid was also like a savant and he could like list off yeah. any, you know... He'd have match cards learnt off, you know, win-loss records, attendance, all like he knew like it's like all the shit that people like Jim Cornette had to write down, he knew off yeah. the top of his head. And like, right, I'm not saying like it, it's come from like a, a bad place or anything. He was obviously very beloved. I will just say, I didn't get to the level of research you were at, Billy, because I was listening to on Pritchard's podcast, and once he started doing an impression of the kid, I kind of mentally checked out a little yeah. bit. Just just hit that pause button there, you know. So and that's kind of shows you you know, I, I don't want it to take it out of context. It's like Pritchard was like, hey, let's have a pop at this kid. But, you know, he was doing impressions of him while mm. trying to tell you how much he specially was and what he means to him. It kind of, for me, exemplified all of the the problems with the Eugene character is that you've got well-meaning people who are taking something and putting on this giant platform where it's been amplified up. You're telling all these little subtleties about this one kid you know, but you're dialing it up, you're turning up to 11 like yeah. you would... You know, any character in wrestling. And you can't help by doing that. You know, to the point of parody, you're trying to show the positives of this character. But by bringing everything up and dialing up like that, you are making him a cartoon character. Yeah. And that's kind of... That's like the unavoidable truth of doing something like this. For everyone who sees it and goes, Yay, man, that's great. And like that for me is like wrestling fans. You can't just present this character and think that everyone's going to be like, you know, cool with it. A lot of kids who were probably saw this and were inspired... I'm sure a lot of kids were called Eugene and beaten up as well, you know? Yeah, that, that's like something that Nick said in this interview. You know, he, said he, f- he found it humbling that special needs kids love him and is often told by parents of those kids that you don't know how much the character has done for their kid. So so I think it's it's a weird one when, when you're confronted, but you're portraying a character who is thought of as controversial. You've got people on one side saying, you know, you did a bad thing. You've got people on the other side, you know, saying how good you did. It feels like armor protecting you against it. You yeah, know? Th- th- there's going to be that aspect to it. I mean, he also said, you know, more or less, it is what it is. He got an action figure, a teddy bear, a T-shirt. He was in a WrestleMania segment with Hogan, fought and pinned Vince, the man who put himself over on God. You know, he... Nick Dinsmore is a wrestling fan, in case you... Yeah, <laughs> so like, Nick probably wouldn't have got the opportunities that he did if he had not agreed to go along with this character because he doesn't have the look. He's a great wrestler, but he doesn't. he's not there, the look. Like, yeah, there's a subsection of people who are always like, who were tweeting and they were saying like, oh, the worst thing ever was that such a great worker like Nick Dinsmore had to do this, like, you know, character or whatever and how, you know, he's Mr. Wrestling and all this. And it's like, look, I know you've all got your, your faves and all that, but in terms of like competent wrestlers with a solid fucking base were a dime a dozen back then. Mm. I'm sorry, they are. It's because they weren't being pushed you know, yeah. and you could say, oh, Nick Dinsmore, he was a great hand. Yeah, there were fucking, like, people like Jericho who weren't being pushed properly. And he was more than a good, he was more than a good hand. He was a fucking mm. megastar. So I think that's kind of, like, besides the point sometimes where people talk about, oh, the other characters he could have played. Because the reality is, this is the character that he played, you know. Yeah. And I think 
there is a bit more to it, you know, and I think that his tune on it has changed a lot. Because, like, I was watching one video interview with him talking about the character, and he was asked, hey, would you do it in 2020? And he goes all quiet, and then he goes, WWE can make anything work. And I say, all right, you fucking bootlicker. Like, we obviously know yeah. the response. They're, they make dreams. They make dreams come true. And I'd like to hear when he's maybe not angling for a job what his actual thoughts are on it. But if you actually are going to come at me and think this character should be done now in wrestling. Like, even if you are the strongest defender of this gimmick, and as I said, we've had a lot of people in touch who, like, mm. have fond memories, but they almost all exclusively have the caveat of when I was growing up, when I was a kid, or at the time. Ain't no one, like, who's mentioned me saying, I watch a Eugene match to brighten my day when I'm feeling down, you know? Yeah. When I've talked about Eugene in the past, that's that's been without going back and actually watching it again. Yeah, because you have the vague memories. Like, yeah. I like I remember the thing that strikes me most about Eugene is that he would do all the other wrestlers' moves. Yeah, he'd do a that, rock, like, throwing a rock bottom, a stunner, you know, throwing all those. Yeah, there's a, like a lot of a lot of those kind of moments that I think that wrestling savant character was the best element of it. But like most things in WWE, they get a bit lazy with it. And when they try something big, like putting him against Kurt Angle or Triple H, and yeah. it doesn't work, then they just get disinterested. And that was the thing with Eugene, was that it was a character that was so, all right, if you're going to do it, you have to fucking do it. And then them kind of like, eh, we don't want to do it anymore. That felt like so shit, you know? Mm. Maybe if we're going to look back at more Eugene in the future, Billy, we might do a little bit of a, potted highlights of some of the highs yeah. and lows of, uh, of of the career of Eugene and see uh, where we can lay our hat on looking back at, at, at Eugene Nick Dinsmore. I think so, yeah. So it is worth bearing in mind that as William Regal comes across Eugene, there is like, um, <laughs> I don't say a hush falls over the audience, but it really feels like people are telling other people in the audience to be quiet. Like, no, yeah. shh. <laughs> so, something important is happening. <laughs> we have to see how this plays out. Don't cheer it. Don't cheer it. We don't know what it is. It's 2004. Jonathan Coachman's in the fucking house with the best music. Ugh. Heel coach coming up like a fucking bell end. Come on, Billy. With that hat. Yeah. Soft hat. Looking like a heel golf caddy, like with oh. soft hats. And seeing why he's so pissed off was so cathartic as well. What happened with coach last week, Billy? So I can't remember who was there. It was La Resistance. Garrison Maybe Cade. Garrison Cade. Man of a thousand segments. And they've they've gone to Tajiri and said basically, all right, it'll be a fun little joke. Why don't you miss the next person who comes through this door? <laughs> and then within within a millisecond, Coach opens the door, gets misted, and we get the most amazing yell. It's such a comical yell. What I love about the yell is that it matches Coach's enthusiasm because he comes in, he's like, "Hey, Tajiri!" <laughs> <laughs> he's already high energy, and then he yeah. gets sprayed. I love it so much, mainly because it makes Coach seem to be like this particular type of like shitty little heel because he's like, you know, he's just out there and he's like, he wants to be mates with everyone ultimately. He's yeah. saying hi to Tajiri and now that he's been spat on, he's going to be like, right, now I'm going to gang up on Tajiri and <laughs> get him, that bastard. By the way, folks, whatever it is that results in Jonathan Coachman throughout time having the best themes ever, 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 I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. They're always too good. Look at the draw. Look at the draw. I guess that's what it is. You get made fun of by The Rock for long enough, you get a nice bit of theme music. <laughs> you know, if Kevin Kelly came out to the ring, it'd be something fucking incredible, right? Yeah. Tajiri's taking on Christian. Ooh, it's all my favorite wrestling boys tonight. Just initially wrote, this is going to be good. Yeah, I mean, it's 
a great episode of Raw in terms of you want to watch 90 minutes and see a bunch of quick little four-minute matches, other than the women, of course, getting yeah. to just show you why it's good. This moved this moved very briskly, this episode of Raw. I did like it. I like that uh, within two minutes of the match starting, Coach gets out of his position of commentary and goes by ringside, which I refer to as Coach moving further into the house as opposed to just being in the house. Yeah, Jerry and JR say, what are you doing? He says, I'm con- going to congratulate the winner despite the match <laughs> not being over. <laughs> we get a distraction from Coach and Tajiri eats the unprettier. Christian, the big old creep, wins with his massive fucking package. You see the size of his dick here? <laughs> fucking is. hell! We we also got in this match my soft moan of the night. Yay! We're back! The soft moan of the night is back. <laughs> so, Christian did an Irish uh, whip to Tajiri, and Tajiri countered that into a, a sort of a kick. And a millisecond before <laughs> the kick actually lands... Beautiful. Literally, just a second before. Just, ah! Billy, when does a soft moan become a grunt? Who on the podcast, if anyone, can decide that for us? I think it's purely an octave. <laughs> Anywhere from huh to huh is moan. Anything lower than that huh is a grunt, I think. And anything higher than that moan, that's a Billy Gunn King of the Ring promo. Yeah, that's all yeah. that is. So we get a quick rundown of the backlash cards. There you go. And then we have William Eagle backstage wanting all of this straightened out. We got some fucking toe curling phrases here. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, a word we don't really like to say unless we're talking about an Aphex twin song. But he says, you can't saddle me with that window liquor. What's that window liquor? I don't I don't know. I'm a, hey everyone, I'm an idiot. I just thought of Barney Gumble licking a man's windows. That's obviously it's, not what it is. It's not a term I particular I know it's a, a term that is used for people who are mentally disabled. Right. I don't know the etymology behind it. I don't know why it's used. I'm assuming Doolally is similar, but in more of a Mary Poppins environment. Yeah, Doolally, Doolally is similar as nincompoop that he calls them. The one which confused me the most. Is Ratchput. Ratchput? So he says, you can't saddle me with that window liquor. He's Ratchput. So I was is like, that like what? Ratchet? I don't know. So I, 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 I googled Ratchput. So I put R-A-T-C-H space P-U-T. Nothing. But he I wasn't thought, saying wretched by any chance, was he? No. So I tried it with a W, W-R, n- nothing. So I thought, fuck it. Let's rewind 30 seconds and put on closed captions. And it's Ratchput. Is what is set there. Raj. R-A-J-P-U-T. So is that something to do with, like, India and the the British Empire or something? The East India Trading Company? What's going on? So Rajput is Sanskrit, coming from Rajaputra, which means son of a king. Billy, what's going on? (laughs) Is a large multi-component cluster of castes, kin bodies, and local groups sharing social status and ideology of genealogical descent originating from the Indian subcontinent. I have no fucking idea why William Regal said that. I'll tell you what, though. That is the most William Regal-sounded fucking word ever, though. Like, just all that description there. If you have his music in the background, it'd be like, yeah, that fits. (laughs) A system of castes and governments. (laughs) I have no idea what... I don't know if there's a mistake in the the subtitling. I swore it was wretched, like he was saying he was a wretched man or something like that. I don't know. I I heard a P sound, so I, I, I don't know. But I can't imagine he's... He's using Sanskrit and referring to a Hindu caste system. Well, in fairness, he's been he's been on 
in his deathbed in India for a while. Maybe it's all the reading they had in the hospital. Yeah. And he's reading about the Raj and he's reading about the caste system. And he's like, I'll incorporate this into my uh, into my routine, you know? So strange. And you tell you who thinks it's strange, but it's the crowd because they are like a pin could fucking drop here. Yeah. They're, they're like, where the, when William Regal shows up and Eugene's not there, the crowds are like, where is he? Like, what's, what's happening? Yeah. Like, just put us out of our misery. A line from this wrestling show, which I wish didn't have the associations it has with Eugene because I think out of context it could make for just a really fun wrestling show you know you will manage my nephew (laughs) (laughs) it's like in Seinfeld where it's like because he's my butler that's why (laughs) you will manage my nephew well Eugene was left outside and he's already disappeared he's headed ringside where Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross await Eugene, his debut in front of the live studio audience, Bill. King immediately says, you know, here's a special headset for you, Eugene. JR's like perfectly fine, yeah. civil, cordial. He's like, hey, Eugene, here's a headset for you. You want to join us? And then Eugene, like they, you can tell straight away, one of the parts of the character that they have got down is like they know they want this savant thing because he just starts reeling out stats about the bushwhackers and stuff. Word association, you know, King says, you know, that's a wacky ring gear you've got going there. He goes, wacky, wacky, bushwacky, bushwhackers. Yeah. Starts doing a dance and then starts licking King's head. Now, him licking Jerry the King Lawler's head and Jerry Lawler has like kind of the look on his face saying, you will never find how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Jerry Lawler (laughs) bar. Like, Jerry's really worried that his dark candy interior is going to be revealed by all this licking. That's a great sell. That's a great lick. I'm not going to lie. They got the crowd on side with Eugene here because of this particular antic. It was a well-chosen antic. Uh, And then I think immediately followed by Regal running out to get him. Eugene grabbing a microphone and shoving it in his face and real so going loud on you know the house mics. No, dear boy, I don't want to be interviewed. Not today, please, lad. Keep it serious. <laughs> Regal is like, I'd love to hear his thoughts on this character as a matter of interest. Yeah. You know, this honestly, that them together, I, I I think is and seeing how w- William Regal's turn from uh, heel to face. Yes. Because of his love for this character. That's one of the most like heartwarming moments in wrestling. I remember you that was an early thing you and I mm. talked about was Regal's promo where he's where he's calls out Triple H. It was me sunshine. Oh, make you look even ripped up with a bloody hatchet. Oh, William. It, it's one of my favourite promos of all time. And that it's hard to kind of get to the nut of this fucking Eugene business because like there's all these fucking amazing performances from other wrestlers tied up in with it as well and all these like feel good moments and like you don't want to be just fucking feel like you're shitting on the parade like I feel there is got to be more to it than just oh it's problematic or it's fucking great it's obviously more complex than that might have to look into that see if Regal's ever said anything on it I think so I think look we're going to look at another Eugene Raw after this one I think for sure Mm. and we will put a call out for your thoughts and your feelings as well as any more bits of research because certainly the people who are involved have changed their tune on us over and over but William Regal is someone who I certainly would feel like if he has something to say about it it'll be at least consistent yeah we have the slam of the week it was a choke slam and then a spear onto Green Kane, who looked very much like if you bring someone back from the dead in the sims <laughs> which one was it 
Because, you know, a slam of the week, it should be slams of the week. Is it Was it the choke slam or was it the spear? I think it was the fact that Tajiri slams that green mist all over yeah. his face, Billy, is what it was. <laughs> a, a main event that I could fucking get my teeth into any day of the week. Oh, yes. Kane versus Rhino. The only thing that makes me want this more is show to me in 2021, like big, thick, wide Kane and wide Rhino. Kill him, Rhino. He doesn't believe in masks. <laughs> Best Kane as well with slow chemical. Yeah, um... Billy, I hate to break it to you. Not even the commentators are helping out here trying to get this over as best Kane. JR's like, have you heard Kane's breathing? It's so scary. It's like he's asthmatic. His breathing's so slow and heavy. Like, whoa. The, lad, the lad can't win because they always went about, about his breathing when he was in the mask. <laughs> like, Come on, like, you gotta be, watch out for Kane. He's the only thing sure that his breath is his temper, like, for fuck's sake. We, we find out that Backlash is going to be sponsored by Drakengard, which explains why the main event ends with a hundred naked giant babies eating a crowd. <laughs> this match is like just fucking a beautiful disaster. It's like a hundred seconds long and they break the middle rope. <laughs> <laughs> Rhino hits the thing so hard. And I love as well when Rhino breaks the, the middle rope, they both have this look like, fuck it, just, yeah, all right, spear, choke sound, let's go home, brother. <laughs> I fucking love this. I was expecting, like, the four ring posts to fall down and be like, don't tell anyone how we wrestle, please. It was so <laughs> shambolic in the best way possible. Oh, yeah, I love this. Big meaty gore, big meaty choke slam. Kane picks up a win, and JR says, Kane with the Shaquille O'Neal-like choke slam. <laughs> Was he known for that? <laughs> no, but, you know, here they were, 17 years before someone else finally landed them, really hoping that Shaquille O'Neal would do a wrestle sometime soon. <laughs> Please, Shaquille O'Neal, do a wrestle for us. We have a really fucking confusing run in here. This was very odd altogether. This is Edge. Yeah. Come back after his neck being broken. But his, his neck's not broken. His, his, his wrist apparently is. Yeah. Now, not many things get you over like this. King, King, it's Edge. He broke his hand in training, but I think he's okay. And then King immediately thinks that maybe the, it's, a, it's a gimmicked, it's a, it's a weapon wrist. Right. It's a fucking hard thing to pull off the whole, oh, I'm in a cast, but it's a weapon now. Also, as well, we were talking earlier about recycled content. Me and Joe did a pay-per-view classic on Patreon where it was Triple H and Big Show with the broken hand gimmick, and mm. it's the exact same fucking shit. Yeah. The only problem is... I'm pretty sure you can't do this with someone who's broken a, another much more important bone in their body recently. Yes. Like, you imagine if Austin came back to get his revenge on own heart and he broke his hand and he's like, ah, he fell into my trap. <laughs> like, not really, though. Yeah. But you can't, you, can't re- you can't really do that gimmick with the neck unless you come out with a big metal brace and start <laughs> headbutting motherfuckers. Like. <laughs> <laughs> you start spinning your head around. <laughs> <laughs> It's so flat as well, and it also is hurt by the fact that Edge is fucking jacked to the nines here. Yeah. He's got those kind of special muscle tits where your arms don't fold down anymore. Like, he's a shit action figure who's got no articulation. So maybe that's why his arm broke, because he couldn't move it all the way. He looks really fucking, like, gassed up here in a bad yeah. way. No, he's not looking, not looking his best. No, made the crowd kind of flat. Kind of makes you realize Edge is going to go heel in a couple of months and start kissing Leah. Whoa. Maybe that was it. Leah just couldn't resist the allure of a man with a broken neck and a broken arm. Like, ooh, boy. We get Kane trying to put Edge's 
unbroken hand in the chair to break that one as well. Because we want double broken hands here. Look, Billy, there's no way you're going to do anything after this match and not just have me hyped up to see Kane and Rhino. And the ring's been reinforced, Michael Cole, (laughs) (laughs) with steel ring ropes. (laughs) Backstage. Uh Uh-oh, I can tell something's going on here because it's time for our main event and all the matches have happened. It's Monday Night Raw, baby. Yeah, yeah. Shawn Michaels hangs around backstage with Chris Benoit and he's like, Oh, Chris, you, me and Mick Foley, we're in big trouble. (laughs) I'm like, isn't Shelton part of your gang as well? Yeah. That's not fair because later on when Eric Bischoff is going to say, and it's the same faces I'm seeing here every week, Shelton's one of those faces, but... He's not part of their cool little gang, but he's going to be punished like he is. Well, like he's, he's in hospital. Oh, is that is? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's in the medical centre. They don't really care much about him, the lads, do they? Yeah. So the goodies have been called out by Eric Bischoff. He says he wants their ass in the ring later on tonight. And HBK is really worried he's going to get in trouble because then he won't get his grade 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's compared it to going to the principal's office. Yeah, I'm sure he's been a few times in, in his lifetime. So... I don't know if it's what this says about me as a wrestling fan, Billy, but the thing I love most about this entire episode of Raw was Eric Bischoff coming out to his music looking annoyed. Yeah, <laughs> genuinely. Oh, come on. <laughs> Fucking incredible. He's got a face like piss. Like. <laughs> He's so good at that job. Yeah. Honestly, so fucking good. And he's like, I'm Eric Bischoff, and I'm the general manager. Each and every one of you, get your asses out here individually. Music, pyro, let's go. <laughs> and it's like, dun, 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 dun. Oh, Sean, stop. <laughs> and then Mick Foley. And then the world champion. That, that's something I wouldn't mind them repeating. Have him out on, as a as a as a... A TV character. Yeah, I mean, he showed up in AEW. They used him a few bit, few times very effectively. Oh, I didn't realise he'd been in AEW. Yeah, they used him as like, um, they did like a town hall meeting between Jericho and Orange Cassidy. And, you know, Orange Cassidy and Jericho, they posed them questions like, do you believe in the coronavirus pandemic? Or like, do you believe in free and fair elections? <laughs> or like, is the, is the world flat? And Jericho's like, it's not a stupid ball, baby! Come on! <laughs> And then he left early so he could go donate more money to Donald Trump before he got COVID again. (laughs) Potentially illegally as well. No, no, no. There's nothing illegal about supporting somebody who wants to overthrow the government. Come on now. (laughs) Yeah, but donating under two different names might be. Oh, Billy, look, going after the people committing electoral fraud. Who's next going after the seditionists? Would you leave it out? Come on now. He has an alibi for January 6th. He's not even from your country, lads. All the people with fucking sunglasses coming at me on Twitter, right? He's not even American. He's from out of your country trying to influence your election and overthrow the result. Chris Jericho, out of state. Bad for Florida. Bad for the Republican Party. (laughs) I'm Kevin Mann, and I approve this message on a part of the Democratic ranch. We got a big bombshell announcement next week on Raw. There's going to be an eight-man tag where you got all of Evolution taking on all of Ye. And, of course, it's huge news because Mick Foley is going to be in a match on Raw for the first time in, like, four years. Mm. Impressive. And to put a little stank on it, here are all of Evolution now. Hunter's got the the sledgehammer. It's time to to, to kick some ears. How long do you think they spent on Triple H's hair here to make him look extra cool? Because it's like he really wanted to look cool in this bit here. Oh, yeah. When was the last time we saw him on screen? After the Shelton match? So it'll be the entire time. (laughs) He comes out and his hair is like kind of like 
over his face like he's in an emo fucking music video or something you know he's flicking it back he's all wet he's got his hammer he's got his special tank top that shows off just enough cleavage so you know that he's here to fight (laughs) and then the most low energy beat down ever i don't know what the point of this was he comes out to the evolution music and he starts going come on guys and then he's like no come on guys and he's like guys come on and i thought is it going to be like oh Shelton's got them locked in the locker room and now Triple H's yeah. going to get beaten up. And then it's like, no, they're just very, very, very slowly coming from the other side. Well, it's like, because they have to match the same speed as Rick. That's the problem, right? You can't do a sneak attack from the audience when two of your henchmen are Ric Flair and Batista. Yeah. Like, that's a hard game of meat chess to play there, folks. Rick, Rick has to set the pace because he's the slowest walker. So yeah, like... he's strutting the whole way down, <laughs> right? It's really hard to get the drop on anyone that way. So, yeah, they have a bit of a beatdown. Randy fucks up Mick Foley's flannel. And JR reminds us for the only time tonight that we're in the great state of Texas by going, Texas-sized carnage. So, yeah, they're in Texas. Bit of a shame Shawn Michaels didn't wrestle in his home state tonight, but there you go. (laughs) Everyone's decimated. That's the end of Raw. Well, Billy, how'd you get on? A little bit of a trip down memory lane. I enjoyed that. If I was watching that for the first time, I would say I'll be watching the next episode of Raw, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think for all its failings, the big thing you have to realise is that any bit of a Raw that comes in that post-WrestleMania period is always going to be a bit spicy and have a couple of new storylines to sink your teeth into. It is sad to see, like, this whole show end and Shelton Benjamin has went from being probably the most important guy to being like the fifth most important guy in this show yeah it really shows you how you can bury someone while pushing them at exactly the same time I mean at least have Shelton run out here or at least have him sit up in his hospital bed and be like evolution Have you got any match of the night for this or, or an MVP or at least a moment that made you uh, made you go, huh, about that 4 Genuinely, there's, there's not a whole lot in here aside from the fucking Divas match where I can say, like, that I didn't enjoy that. I think the biggest highlight for me was that, you know, 100 seconds of Kane and Rhino. Yeah, that was great stuff. And also as well... The Mick Foley promo is absolutely fascinating to watch. And I will say to an extent as well, like I wasn't fucking whooping and cheering while watching it, but certainly like, you know, going back and watching these Eugene segments and I thought I had a pretty decent handle on how the character was presented from the get-go. And it's like, no, it it obviously changes quite a bit. It's going to get worse. Yeah, and it, it certainly raised a lot more questions than it did answer them. So like, I just worry sometimes and i don't feel as view as remotely as being stewards of anything it's not our job to look after wrestling history we're just fucking talking about it and making a few jokes and talking about politics man in the meanwhile <laughs> but like there is always a part of me and it was always an inspiration for the ad share podcast when they were doing them documentaries about the ad share and being like no we weren't blacking up we were just like having a great time with triple h mm. you know that was what the ad share was really about yeah like there are no stewards of wrestling history and i just think it's good for us to maybe particularly when we're looking back on these time periods where you said at the start, Billy, people don't think very fondly back of this time period, not because it was bad particularly. They just 
haven't got much mental real estate space for it. Yeah. And stuff like this, which is like some of the most um, controversial parts of wrestling's history, at least one of the most controversial characters. Well, it'd be a bit shit if it just kind of got forgotten by the wayside in a big tidal wave of, I didn't like Triple H then. <laughs> we're, not getting, we're not getting a documentary about 2004, 2005. Uh, mate, didn't you watch the Rufus Aggression series on the network? Didn't you what, have all your answers answered then? More, like? more propaganda, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't decided yet exclusively which episode or even how many episodes but billy i'd like you to take me by the hand at some point again in the not too distant future and let's head back to this period of raw and uh, i feel like we're putting on our deep sea diving uniforms just floating around for a little bit to see what's what and get a gauge of the world i mean it can it, it could get better it could get worse you know we've got the spirit squad on the horizon look we've had so many people going musical chairs though and that seems to be like the one thing 90 percent of people are holding out for eugene that's like the one saving grace for people <laughs> well we can definitely look into that i believe that is from june or july of the same year so it's only a couple of months down the line yeah it'll be very intriguing to see because like if he's like if we get to that episode where i believe he's like the guest gm or something he's, like yeah, that yeah he's the gm of the night that shows you that they've got enough of a handle on the character or enough confidence in dinsmore and gerwitz and all the supporting yeah. cast that he can take over a whole episode of it otherwise if you think this is a fucking terrible idea you never want to hear us talk about it again we'll do something else let us know yeah and thank you so much as always for listening to this episode of the attitude podcast and as always if you're listening on itunes sanclouds or stitcher wherever you get your podcasts spotify as well don't you know you can leave us a rating or review always helps us out when you do that or head over to the facebook or the twitter where you can leave us a bit of a like and if you want to support the show support myself adam and bill help the show get made and get access to a ridiculous amount of bonus content you can become our backer over at patreon.com slash ae podcast where there's over 100 episodes of all sorts of bonus content billy you've been on the patreon recently heading over there with adam biblo what have you been uh, looking at what have you been wetting your beak with in our patreon so we did the chaos comic series on the undertaker which was oh. diabolically poor we are going to be looking at next time that we do it which should hopefully be soon we're going to be doing our little mixed bag of china the rock and mick foley these those image comics that came yeah. out in the 90s right during yeah, the, the image era. comics and then you oh, know obviously man. the undertaker got quite a few issues but some other wrestlers didn't get that many so i think next episode we're going to do the mixed bag of the people who got the the the, the least issues Oh my god, I'm very excited for the uh, the Bibliotech, I believe, as it's now officially yes. known. As well as that, you get the Bibliotech where you look back at wrestling books. We got over 70 episodes of the SmackDown Crawl. You got QA episodes. You've got random bonus side ventures like the The Big Show Show Show, our recent Limp Biscuit Chocolate Starfish album review, and video episodes featuring myself, Adam, and Billy. All this and more for your support and keeping us 100% fan and listener supported and ad free. We'd like to thank all our backers here in 20. 2021. Until next time when we're going to be heading back and potentially looking at a little bit more of Eugene, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And me, Billy. And we'll see you next time on the Attitude Era podcast. Hey.